Hello and welcome to the Changemakers podcast. I'm Dave Corlett, Business Director at the creative agency Shape By, and in this series I chat to leading marketers at what we call Changemaker Brands, businesses on a mission to change the world for the better through technology. What I want to find out is the role that creativity plays in helping them to communicate the benefits of their technology. Hopefully their insights, experience and stories can help you supercharge your own creativity. Hey folks, welcome to a very special episode of the Changemakers podcast this week. Uh, And actually it's three special episodes because this is the first in our Women in Creative Leadership specials. And I'm really glad that we're getting to do this because it's a subject that is really, really close to my heart. It's something that I've wanted to talk about on this podcast for a long time. And to do it in this way, talking to three amazing female leaders is really exciting stuff. We're doing it because essentially I've been working at Shape By for nearly three years now. For most of that time, we've been working heavily within, I guess, what you would call B2B tech. I know that's very broad. There are a lot of kind of subsectors and industries within that. But ultimately, the kind of the tech industry that sells to other businesses and, and tech as a whole, especially at founder leadership level and in certain disciplines like engineering, has historically leaned very heavily towards being male dominated. But during my time here, I've come across and had the pleasure of talking to and working with a lot of amazingly talented female marketers and creatives. So I guess I wanted to gauge the temperature of gender equality and diversity within the creative and marketing sides of B2B tech. Where are we at the moment? Has it improved in recent years? How long have we got to go or how far have we got to go before we can truly say that it is a gender equal and truly diverse part of this industry? And I really wanted to get that from female leaders within this space. And I'm so grateful to the three who've agreed to join me and talk about this on The Changemakers because it's so, so important. It really, really is, you know. Diversity and equality are absolute non-negotiables for me and should be for everyone within the world of business and life in general. And I'm so glad that my first guest has agreed to join me. So Larissa Schneider is the VP of EMEA Marketing at the API security firm No Name. We're lucky enough to have worked with Larissa both in her previous role um, and soon to be in her current role as well, which we're really excited about. So I know firsthand how amazing she is. And uh, it's a fantastic conversation. You know, I really wanted to get a sense of her experience of her career, you know, climbing the ranks as a female marketing leader and her views on equality and diversity within, within this wonderful sector that we all work in. So here we are. This is episode one of our Women in Creative Leadership specials with Larissa Schneider of No Name Security. Enjoy. Hey Larissa, thank you for joining me in The Changemakers. How are you today? Hey Dave, thanks for having me. Doing really well. Excited to be here. Great stuff. Where are you at the moment? Are you based in Berlin, is that right? Exactly. I'm in Berlin, pretty much city centre. Loving it. Nice. (laughs) Well, listen, there's there's so much I want to kind of dive in with you today. This is one of our three women in in leadership specials, uh, in particular focusing on creative and marketing leadership. And there's a couple of reasons why we wanted to to talk about this. One, actually, which came out this week, which is apparently women CMOs um, across the board now outnumber male CMOs, which is a really interesting dynamic on gender equality. And and there's a lot about that that I want to dive in with you today. But first, before we started, I wonder if you could just give our listeners a bit of an idea of your career so far, really, and how you came to be in your role at No Name. 
Absolutely. And I hadn't heard of that stat yet. So uh, that's good news. It sounds like things are progressing in the right direction. So like in terms of taking it really back for me, I, I often say that the building blocks for, for my career where it is now started about two weeks after my 16th birthday. So that's when I um, decided uh, to move to Australia on my own um, out of like small town countryside Germany. And um, that's when I discovered you know, the world, uh, learning to be independent, um, found out that I really love being around people from uh, all diverse backgrounds and languages. And um, ultimately that kicked off about um, 10, 12 uh, years of my life uh, after that, spending mostly abroad. I went to school and then got university degrees uh, also in the UK, in France, uh, in the US, spent some time working in Belgium too. Um, so pretty, uh, pretty international and as I said, native German. Now we speak French at home and at, at work I mostly speak English. So I really like the languages uh, and the change that all of that uh, brings with it. And so um, on, on that journey initially, I started working with uh, really like the largest multinational corporations um, in, in the world across a wide range of industries, like industry leaders. But like, I mean, I'll tell you a few. <laughs> it's like I work for furniture companies. I even worked for a garbage bin company. Um, they're a market wow. leader, but uh, <laughs> very different field to what I'm in now. Um, that's uh, work with airplanes and uh, interior architecture, always marketing related communications, customer relations. So really in that field is, is what I knew I wanted. Um, but for me, initially coming out of school, it was like the bigger, the better. Uh, and found myself in like a beautiful but pretty sleepy town in, in southern France. Um, and wanted to kind of do the most opposite, like polar opposite of, of what I could find from that. And that was uh, when I decided to move to San Francisco for a while. Um, I wanted that like fast pace, um, new tech uh, environment, um, spent some time there, great memories. Uh, but I knew I wasn't gonna stay in the long run realistically. So um, I joined a tech startup in, in Silicon Valley. Um, they're called Pernix Data. Uh, they were just in the, process really expanding into the EMEA region. Um, I moved back to Germany with them and that, that's how I ended up in Berlin. I was in a marketing role there. Um, we were acquired by Nutanix um, about a year after I joined them and uh, I, I decided to go with that acquisition. Um, started in an EMEA role again, moved into a global team and uh, eventually took a, a leadership role there. Um, during my time, we went through IPO, which was uh, super exciting. So that's, um, uh, I guess, a, a good decision to, to go with the acquisition. Uh, we went through tremendous growth. Um, initially, the startup I, I was part of, we were like 100-ish people, maybe 150. Then we joined Nutanix with a thousand people. And um, ultimately, I think when I left, it was like 7,000. So it was um, it was a wild time, <laughs> let's say that. And um, yes, yeah, so after a few years, it got a little bit too busy, too, well, not, not busy, big, di different type of busy um, with different <laughs> areas of, um, of a corporation that I didn't enjoy quite as much anymore. So um, I joined what I like, sometimes like to call like more of the startup factory um, within Nutanix. So the, um, the number of um, acquisitions that were made over time, um, some of them were run as independent startups within the company. So it was super exciting. Um, I, I joined that part and I was working with founders on their approach to go to market, marketing programs, um, and just navigating being part of, of the bigger company that they really just bought into. 
that was quite a while of my career, probably the, the longest tenure in a company. And um, then in January, I um, I joined No Name Security. And um, I think like like many others in the pandemic, um, I was in a bit of a path of reorientation, finding a new meaning um, and making changes. Um, wanted a new challenge. And uh, I think we all know how hot cybersecurity is right now. Um, everyone's talking about it uh, on main page uh, news every day. So I was like, let, let's um, dive into that a little bit. Um, I got to talk to quite a few people at No Name and it was, um, it was super exciting, like extremely smart people. We hit it off straight away. And honestly, I just decided to, uh, to go for it, <laughs> dive in. And uh, yeah, that, that's how I landed here. Nice. And um, can you give us a bit more of a flavor into exactly what No Name does as a, as a really hot cybersecurity startup that's making huge waves in the cybersecurity industry, as far as I understand it? Yeah, absolutely. So No Name is in, in the broadest space of API security. Um, with uh, our platform that we um, launched, we're the only company that takes, I want to say, like a complete 360 degree um, approach to API security and uh, without going too much into the, the technical details uh, that includes things like posture management, runtime run security and uh, API security testing. Uh, but the company was only found in 2020, so it's it's pretty new um, by a team of really uh, brilliant uh, cybersecurity pioneers in Tel Aviv, Israel. And to date, we've raised $220 million um, in three rounds of funding from uh, some of the, the leading VC firms um, across North America. Uh, we achieved unicorn status uh, only one year after coming out of stealth, which is uh, pretty wow. incredible. And um, yeah, it was, it was a hard lift on the team before I joined. <laughs> so I was I was lucky to step into that unicorn, first ever API security unicorn um, startup um, a few weeks after that came out. Uh, yeah, we had quartered in Silicon Valley, uh, have offices in Tel Aviv where most of our R&D is happening and then in, in Amsterdam. Also recently launched the Asia Pacific region. So lots of growth globally, um, which really resulted um, to, to the fact that already now we're working with over 20% of the uh, Fortune 500. So the, the largest corporations that all of us um, know all around the world. Wow, that's an incredible journey so far. And what in terms of your role within the business, you're EMEA Marketing Director, is that right? I mean, for a start, you seem to be doing a lot of traveling since you joined. Um, but what's, <laughs> well, what's your kind of, um, what's your remit within the business? Yeah, so um, I started um, to run the EMEA Marketing region and then um, recently uh, got the opportunity to um, run the global marketing team. So I, I get to work with a group of really amazing marketers covering all aspects of demand generation, um, like including regional marketing, events, uh, content, partnership, communication. So really all the areas that drive our, our top of funnel demand for the company. Cool. And... Um... So that's a big jump from Nutanix, which is a business that obviously we both know well um, from either working within it or as a supplier, to a, a very fast growing, but ultimately a very nimble um, and somewhat leaner startup. What, what's that jump been like for you? Yeah, I mean, even the, the Nutanix time, nothing ever stood still, to be honest, because uh, initially we were part of this, like, um, you know, you're preparing for IPO, there's clear growth plans, you have some predictability in your in your pipeline and your growth and your regions. Um, but then even there, when I jumped into the startup world internally, uh, it was a lot of changes 
back and forth. Now at No Name, this is a whole different beast, if you will, <laughs> because um, we're really in the, the early stages of uh, launching our international regions, which, um, as I've mentioned, is, is something that's super uh, interesting and important to me. We're um, expanding the team across verticals, across um, the, the geographic locations. We are bringing on, um, in, in the marketing uh, department, bringing on new functions um, every other week recently. So it's it's been super exciting. No day is like the one before or the next one. And I, I think it takes a certain uh, set of people and, and skills to to navigate and, and be happy in this uh, this environment for sure. And speaking of your skills, over the years, so obviously, you know, we've talked about your extensive career, both in terms of different roles and also different regions as well. What inspired you to get into marketing, first of all, and then what inspired you to get into the tech world in terms of bringing your skills to that realm? Yeah, marketing in general, I always think like it's, it's a mix of me being a kid and loving to play office like really when, when everyone else was playing with dolls I, I love to like you know be organizing and um, filling out excel files for fun and I think there is that that part to marketing where you really need to make sure you're planning your budgeting your forecasting um, that part but then you also have that creative aspect to it and the people aspect which which I enjoy you know like early um, jobs I had while I was in school was often like you know, customer facing, retail, whatever. Um, so I think you do have that in marketing. You, as I said, you travel, um, you attend conferences, you talk to prospects, you talk to business partners. So um, it's the diversity of, of that. And, and nowadays within marketing, you have so many different functions that you can specialize in and, um, and dive deeper or keep that more broad overarching view across multiple disciplines. And then tech in nice. general, I think that is the, the fast pace. Like, I think dynamic um, is what I often use as a word coming or working before in France at the Airbus headquarters where you have like, I don't know how many tens of thousands of people working there and uh, marketing campaigns um, that I was involved with running like 30 years um, because that's only every so often that you launch a completely new airplane. (laughs) So here in in high tech basically silicon valley coming expanding across the world it never stands still there's new products that pop up every day it's super challenging to keep up and and i think that's what it makes exciting for me um yeah you're never the smartest person in the room right so um there's always something to learn from someone else uh, especially when you don't have that technical background in in terms of your studies it's interesting, isn't it? Some marketers quite like that slow pace of life. You know, you were talking about Airbus and only changing things ever so often and something comes around every every few years. It's a very kind of glacial pace, but some marketers like that. And then like yourself, some marketers actually, that's really not stimulating enough. You know, the fast pace is really attractive. So I hear that a lot, especially within the tech world. I'd love to get onto the subject of gender equality because it's something that we we talk about so often in the world of marketing i just wondered i mean we'll come on to kind of the wider world of tech in general and tech businesses and 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 how the steps they're taking to to balance things out as far as that's concerned but just in terms of marketing where do you feel the tech industry is in terms of um, equality and opportunities for female marketers do you feel like it's a level playing field in your experience well actually i think that's a pretty loaded question i mean overall i would say we all agree that there's still not enough 
women, but also minorities, um, people with diverse backgrounds on company boards and, and like in the highest leadership positions, whether that is in tech or in business in general, but even um, if we look at public administration and, and governments, right? It's it's somewhat similar across the, the different fields, I believe. But I've seen a lot of shift in the last few years um, that is in terms of public debate on news on social media and um, like in, in general the diversity topics come up a lot more in my opinion which i guess is a, a first uh, good step in the right direction highlighting the issues but obviously that does not mean that actions are being taken immediately by by businesses um, so i still find myself more often than not as the only woman in a room um, realistically and definitely have been asked to take the notes for the team, ensure that there's follow up, you know, or organize the internal meetings for totally different departments that really I should just be an attendee of and not running it, right? That, that happens all the time. I think over the years, personally, I've uh, gained more confidence in, in pushing back, which I guess when you're starting in, in a new role, when you're somewhat more of the, the odd one out, um, you probably don't have that confidence just yet. Usually there's no bad intentions on the other side. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, year-long habits and, and pro like just doing the same thing over and over again. So I try to take things with a bit of humor, let uh, stuff cool down a little bit, and then uh, find a solution in, in direct uh, interactions. And that's really helped me a lot and has been a, a good approach, I, I think. But if you're asking in general as, as a woman, not just in marketing, but I think you, you still have to show a lot of initiative in making your own opportunities. Um, nobody is really sitting around waiting to give you one. And even more so in as, as a woman in uh, the STEM tech areas, I believe you need to prove at least twice as hard that you have an understanding of the tech, that you're qualified, that you're flexible um, as, as many men are in, in similar positions. You mentioned that things have changed in the last few years. Could you kind of elaborate on that a little bit in terms of is this because there are more specific initiatives around, um, not just in tech and not even just in marketing, but globally, diversity initiatives to try and encourage things? Or is it more specific to kind of to your world and to the world of tech that you, you've seen it on a day to day basis? I think the first kicking stone for me that, that I observed is a slight transition during the COVID time, to be honest, as we all got a lot more flexible, um, people were working from anywhere in the world remotely. I think that opens eyes of a lot of company leaders around the world and in, in saying that there is a different um, type of, of doing and, and not having to stick to the status quo forever. But that being said, I, I'm a lot on um, social media on LinkedIn specifically, and I don't think I remember as many posts from influencers, business leaders really highlighting the issues when there's big international gatherings and you see pictures of just men around a table. Those Manos. things. My exactly. Goodness. Yeah, got that frustration. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that's does go viral these days and I don't really have any recollection of that being similar some five ten years ago to be honest I also see often um, now, now that you mentioned the word manuals when conferences now are coming back right or even virtual conferences over the last few years men actually putting back when they are being on panels where there is no other woman and there really is no reason why there couldn't be right so it's it's a lot more the individuals holding accountable the the institutions or organizers on these topics. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And not just not just females either, but but diversity, you know, skin colour, um, backgrounds, you know, and it, it doesn't do them any favours ultimately, you know, if events and panel sh- panels, discussions like that, because the world just isn't like that, you know, it's not representative. So the, the discussion that comes out isn't going to be valuable to, to the audience who may well be, you know, hopefully much more diverse than that. So, yeah, um, but like you said, I'm really glad that people are becoming more vocal about it and it's, it's becoming an issue that people automatically flag up or, or tend to flag up as soon as it happens. I just wanted to kind of um, touch on the leadership side of things. So, you know, your career's progressed into, into a leadership role. Um, have you, and obviously I mentioned before, so this was a, a CMO tenure study, came out this week. Female CMOs, they were tw- number 23% in 2016. Now, uh, in ad ages list of top 100 advertisers, women made up 51% of CMOs in 2021. That's a real step forward, right? And is that something, that, in terms of you, the way that you've climbed the ranks, have you seen, I guess it's difficult to say, have you seen barriers being uh, removed or broken down? But how's that transition been to you for leadership roles? And have you felt that it's been maybe a smoother ride than it might have been in previous years? can't really say that I have noticed that trend significantly and it might be that there's a difference between industries probably also geographic locations um, and even within the team like not just looking at the leadership role but within the teams um, there is definitely programs that lots of companies are running uh, but in, in my personal uh, experience I, I can't see it say that I've seen that trend just yet. I think in all my time um, in, in this tech world, I've mostly ever worked for male CMOs, to be honest. But I, I do see that in, in lots of our partner companies that there is put like an additional focus is put on recruiting women and really start with the hiring process where women are more acceptable to it and, and where they well, they are looking for for new positions. And what about in the in the wider world of the other business units within um, businesses like yours? So I'm thinking engineering, sales, things like that. Do any of those have a real challenge in terms of gender equality and balancing things out as far as that's concerned? Again, there I, I do also really want to say that geographically, it might be significantly different. So if we look at what we see in the media, for example, countries like like Iceland or, or the Nordics, where the countries itself have really taken a, a real approach to improving the equality across not just gender um, specifics, but uh, all types of minorities. I think you start to see this in business. And usually sales organizations in, in tech are some of the biggest departments they are. And I've seen um, some more entry-level programs where you bring in a diverse group of, of people and then nurture them to becoming um, leaders or really going into a specific um, professional function where they they go a lot deeper in, in specific areas. And that has shown a lot of success in, in previous roles where all of a sudden you don't just have a pool of candidates that were sourced through some of your male leaders professional network but you're actually nurturing those future leaders within um, coming straight out of university and uh, really having having that uh, diversity there has has been great to see when you're in the startup world it often comes with who are your first few hires and how are they making sure that they are sourcing the best talent 
for a growing business that maybe doesn't even have any brand recognition yet, right? So um, as I said before, are you just drawing your candidates uh, from someone's professional network? Or are you really going that extra mile and ensuring that open uh, job recs are being promoted and shared with faster uh, audiences and, and female, like which platforms do women look for jobs? Which platforms um, are, you know, more accessible to minorities as well? And is, is your wording in your uh, recs really um, presenting the, the benefits you're offering? Are they relevant and appealing to women and minorities in, in general? Or is there like a clear underlying bias that prevents um, many women on even giving that position a shot? I think that's, um, you know, that's where it starts. Yeah, absolutely. And are you involved in the hiring process um, at No Name in terms of building your team out? And, and you obviously try and make sure that these things are front and center for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are hiring across the board, um, across all regions, across many different functions, and uh, especially on, on the marketing side. I think we have a, a really great uh, team together that is pretty diverse, and uh, we are all actually remote first. So we are really taking this approach of hiring the best talent wherever they are in the world. You know, that, that's something that's uh, super important to me because not just on the, the gender inequality side, but uh, more often than not, I, I feel like a bias for my geographical location. Uh, so someone that is based in Europe should just be working on the EMEA region, right? That that's often how you start in a new company again. So mostly you're not even considered for a local role, despite maybe having a lot more international um, background and profile than other candidates. So yeah, I, I do make sure that we really talk to people wherever they are in the world and uh, get the best talent and you know for me it's the more diverse the better a team gets. It's got to be like that in the EMEA region though hasn't it because you think about it as a region you know people throw the word the term kind of EMEA around so much but it's such a diverse region you know if you compare it to the America's market where you know you can travel 500, 600 miles in America and you're still in the same country and sometimes even still in the same state, whereas in EMEA, you know, you can be in a completely different region with completely different cultural norms. Surely diversity in an EMEA, you know, your EMEA team should really be the most diverse out there, I guess. Yeah, actually, to be honest, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this on here, but uh, the term EMEA or APAG drives me nuts sometimes uh, because it's like you can say there that. is no <laughs> yeah like when someone says like you're based in EMEA I'm like what does that mean how many uh, countries are there in, in that region there's no one time zone there's no one currency and probably there's people that don't even know what the neighboring country uh, is like you know it's, it's it's extremely diverse and so is the APAC region or you know to a certain extent even the Americas, because uh, for, for mm. most uh, new tech companies, the focus really is on North America being US and Canada, but um, even in, in South America, Latin America, you have a lot different profiles, different people. And um, I, I think we can all appreciate that a little bit more. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And just in terms of your career, have you had any particularly inspiring female mentors that have helped you kind of adapt to any challenges that you, you may have faced being a, a woman climbing the ranks in this world? I've definitely had mentors that have been extremely influential for me. Um, I don't think that mentors for women necessarily have to be women. And to be honest, most of the mentors over time that, that I've had, they've actually 
they were and, and are men. And in my opinion, I think position, industry, gender, background, none of that really matters. I think most people over time have more than one mentor for sure. So within that group of, of mentors, uh, the more diverse it gets, the better. The most important thing for me is that they really are true allies and, and you know, that you find that individual that takes the time um, that has a very specific interest in making you become the, the best professional that you can be and, and have that caringness in them. I think that that's more important than, than any gender. I, I've had great, great mentors overall that um, have really, you know, I, I've built an authentic relationship with over time and um, that we, really, we build a connection and, and trust because sometimes you have to be so vulnerable with them and really have tough conversations because you know that that relationship between the mentor and the mentee is, is not something um, that's just always uh, fun and, and happy and and positive sometimes it's, it's really important that they do give you this nudge and um, they won't always have the right answers that you want to hear and, and nor should they because then it does not challenge you in a way to, to move you to the next step uh, so yeah often it's a matter of having that mentor that listens, that provides support. And um, over time, I think you see as you progress, as you maybe try different roles, different, you know, different companies, some mentors come, some go, others stay a very long time, or even, you know, you switch that relationship around in certain um, aspects that I've seen where a person was initially the mentor and then really wanted to have more, um, insights from someone who's maybe earlier in their career, in their life, and uh, they, they switch that around and the mentors become the mentee afterwards. Yeah, and, and it really takes, I guess, a bit of courage and certainly kind of self-reflection to, to do that as a mentor, doesn't it? Because, you know, there are certain folks out there, see that slightly more egotistical side of, of mentoring, you know, in terms of that it's give, give, and then, you know, the mentee just kind of takes whereas actually I think there's some really inspiring mentors out there that actually see it as a mutual relationship where they can both get value from it for sure. Um, in terms of mentor is that something that you're doing more of now as you um, become more senior in your career? Yeah absolutely um, I have been a mentor for a few people actually only women or young young female professionals in the business context, but also really in, in um, a couple of cases, totally different, uh, much, much earlier and still trying to find their way in, uh, in education. So something that's super interesting to me, um, you learn a lot, really, even if it, like, I think the fact that it's so out of what you're doing really benefits to the whole situation and uh, gets you a completely different insight into different worlds, different professions. And yeah, I, I think those exchanges, you learn a lot from everyone um, benefits from them. Yeah, absolutely. So the people that you're um, in those relationships with, are they within your business or within your world? Or are they completely, completely different? Mostly completely different. Um, so I'm, I'm working with a couple of people who are US based, but in um, in the tech world, and then a few that are in um, Berlin itself, and they came to uh, the city from different countries um, due to migration and uh, trying to settle within German bureaucracy. That sometimes can be a little bit challenging, as, as many have probably heard of, uh, and really finding their way and how business is done here. So yeah, as I say, completely different fields, but lots of um, Lots of learnings on both sides. Yeah, that must be fascinating. 
Great stuff. Well, that's really, really cool to hear that you're doing that. Um, and the best of luck with it. One more question. Well, two more questions, actually. I had a question about initiatives like in International Women's Day. I have to be, oh, I feel like I have to be somewhat careful as, as a man saying this, because I know that, you know, I'm fully aware of the privilege that, that we as males have and the fact that we don't have to, we don't, we don't need initiatives like that to do what we need to do. But do you feel like International Women's Day in particular is, is quite helpful in terms of driving forward gender equality and, 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 and pushing that forward? I'm not a big fan, to be honest. And I know this might be controversial, but I'm really all about authenticity. And I don't think we should need a day. Can it still be helpful for some? Yes. But nobody will really have any benefit from a specific company, you know, posting a thank you to um, to all our female employees International Women's Day banner on LinkedIn um, once a year. Like, I'm more pleased look internally, develop your policies and hold your leaders accountable to them than just marketing something for the purpose of that being a national day. And honestly, the same comes for things like Pride Month or, or other um, of those annual um, days as well. You know, it's it, for me, it's, it's a tricky one. And um, the accountability within having a company really think about what does good look like for them in terms of um, of diversity and the leadership really backing that, standing behind it. That's where it all starts for me. Yeah, I mean, again, I feel like I have to be somewhat careful in, in how I approach it, but I tend to agree with you in that sense because ultimately it's action, isn't it? It's not words, it's not labeling things, it's not, um, you know, here's what we're doing for one day. It's actually everything that goes on on a consistent basis that, that, comes together over time to, to lift everybody up and in particular those marginalised minorities that need support on a day-to-day ongoing basis from their leaders and from, from their peers um, mm. and ultimately and it also gives rise to quite superficial initiatives. I've seen a few things out there on LinkedIn more recently about you know there's a, a, a Walmart bringing out a Juneteenth ice cream and things like that and um, and, you know, the backlash that comes from that, which is really, you know, it's not a money-making exercise. You know, this is a really, really serious social issue that needs addressing every single day. Um, Absolutely. So I tend to agree with you on that front. Look, there is one, though, that I, I think is pretty interesting, and that's the um, equal pay day. I don't know if you've seen that. Like, it's come across on, on my LinkedIn a lot more in, in the last few years. But it's usually not companies driving it, but someone some media outlet or influencers that are really promoting the day and it depends on the country sometimes it's in march sometimes it's in april sometime in may until the moment that a woman on average has worked for free in terms of um, their pay gap in comparison with male um, and i think yeah. that has a very specific statistic that a lot of people are not aware of until it gets to that day and it's kind of the, this eye-opener so I, I think that that's a, usually an interesting one yeah and there's an initiative where women um put their out of office replies on on that day and say um, i'm out of office for the rest of the year because i'm not getting paid for it effectively which i think is a really clever creative way of kind of highlighting that as well but i guess that's that's really important there's actually there's a brilliant bristol tech startup called gap square 
who are really making waves because they've got a um, they've got software, they've got technology that basically uh, uh, makes it really easy for companies to identify what their gender pay gap is and what steps they need to take to. And actually, they're launching in the US quite quite soon, so I'm really really happy to see that. Um, so yeah, more more power to those people, absolutely, and those initiatives for sure. Um, Larissa, thanks so much for spending time with me on The Changemakers. It's been a really valuable discussion. Um, as I said, this is a three-part series, and by the end of it, I really want to be you know, more educated and, and, and understand what I can do and what we can do as a business, what I can do as a, as a male within this industry to be more of an ally um, across the board. Um, I just wanted to end with a... Con- uh, it's slightly different in this context because usually we're talking about kind of creativity and marketing initiatives and things like that on the podcast. But from your career, is there a, is there a particular project or campaign that you're more proud of working on or delivering than, than anything else? I think it's usually those crazy launches we're doing in the shortest turnaround times when like the whole team comes together, brings creative ideas around the table. And, um, you know, like many teams can spend quarters building future campaigns and like filling in endless spreadsheets and all of that stuff. But when you only have a week or so to in the pandemic, um, like providing a campaign for essential services and to ensure that they um, have business continuity for, you know, education for um, retail stores, etc. Or when your current startup is launching a new product and needs marketing to run the launch campaign 10 days later. Like that's really when, um, for me, uh, the adrenaline kicks in and uh, the pressure and stress is, is, in my opinion, where some of the craziest, the most innovative ideas happen. And then eventually you click that go live button uh, things work and um, the outside world is, is amazed by the product you've, you've produced um, I think that that's the best feeling um, yeah nice very cool yeah there's nothing like a bit of pressure to ramp up things but when it goes well everybody's happy everyone's delighted high yeah, fives probably... virtual and physical everywhere <laughs> you probably don't <laughs> want that uh, pressure all the time but uh, occasionally it, it is a fun alternative to uh, the day-to-day operations Absolutely. Very cool. Well, listen, thank you so much again. Really appreciate this chat. Have a great rest of your day in Berlin, and I'm sure I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Larissa. Thank you so much.